As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter 1. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy-to-read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. You are listening to the C.S. Lewis Podcast with Professor Alistair McGrath, brought to you by Premier. I'm Ruth Jackson, and over this second series, Alistair and I will be looking at some of the key themes and ideas in Lewis's seminal book, Mere Christianity. You can find out more about this series, as well as C.S. Lewis and Professor Alistair McGrath, by heading to cslewispodcast.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please don't forget to like, rate and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. On today's episode, we will be looking at what Lewis says about the law of human nature in mere Christianity. Alistair McGrath, welcome back to the C.S. Lewis podcast, where we're continuing to talk about the book Mere Christianity. And we're going to be focusing particularly in this episode on the law of human nature and what Lewis says about this. Now, for someone who hasn't read Mere Christianity or perhaps read it a long time ago, but can't remember a lot of the details, would you just briefly summarise what Lewis says on this topic? And I suppose as well, because it can be a little bit complicated to kind of navigate the book where in the book it sits well it sits right at the beginning and that's very interesting because you know you might think when somebody begins a book about christianity they might begin with um, the church or with the bible but actually lewis begins by asking us to imagine two people arguing and actually it's one of those very very important points that lewis is speaking to an audience And he's speaking to them without making explicit use of church language or Bible language. He's kind of way saying, hey, you you know this, don't you? Let me tell you about two people who are arguing. And the point he then makes is, look, if they're going to sort out who's right and who's wrong, there has to be an objective standard above them, which allows them to work out who's right and who's wrong. And Lewis then takes this point and begins to expand it into this argument that we all have a deep sense If you like, there is something behind us or beyond us, which actually uh, we take enormously seriously, uh, which in effect um, he develops morally. We have a strong sense that there's a moral authority outside us. And we also have this deep sense that we don't quite match up to what we're meant to be like. And Lewis then makes that his springboard into his whole account of the Christian faith. So talking about, you know, this law of human nature is really saying that um, we're aware of these two dimensions, um, a moral authority beyond us and our own apparent inability to actually um, match up with what we're being asked to do. And why do you think he starts with that rather than, as you say, delving into the Bible or other things? Why does he start with the law of human nature? I think it's because he wanted to 
in effect, begin where he expected every person listening to him would actually be. Some might be a church audience, but some would not be. And if he began with a very churchy account of things, he'd lose a lot of his audience immediately. And Lewis is, is in effect, using a gateway argument, in effect, an, uh, an argument or reflection, which in effect draws people in. They say, oh, that's an interesting question. Oh, let me think about that. And what Lewis is saying is it is interesting, but let me, sh- let me show you where it takes you. Uh, it might surprise you. <laughs> and um, it's a very, very intriguing way of doing things, because if you like, Lewis is persuading you this door is worth opening before he actually even gets around to talking about Christianity, because it's all about the, the opening pages of mere Christianity is how on earth we settle arguments. And then Lewis begins to make the connections which move his argument on. And why does he think that we all have this inherent moral law inside us? How does he articulate that? Well, Lewis has this deep sense that this is the way things are. Now, not everyone does. I think we have to say that. You know, there'll be some who would say, well, look, uh, I don't feel like that. But most people usually do. And that's why I think Lewis is, is really taken so seriously. I think what he's doing is he's, in effect, connecting up with the thought world of his audience and saying, look, um, you know, I'm not asking you to step into my way of thinking. I'm trying to step into yours. You know, and, and, in fact, he's, he's making it very, very easy to see the lines of thought which actually may well have helped Lewis himself to become a Christian in the first place. And that's one of the things we need to bear in mind as we read Christianity, that Lewis is, in effect, someone who discovered and then explored Christianity. And, in fact, I often think that it's best to see mere Christianity as, in effect, an invitation to somebody else to discover and then to explore. And what Lewis does is map out some ways in. And most of them begin from everyday experience. And what Lewis is saying is once you follow this line of thought through, you are going to end up in a very Christian place. As you say, some people won't have that inherent sense of, of moral law as, as Lewis clearly does and is articulating on behalf of other people who do. Um, and he does deal with some specific objections in the book to this idea of a kind of inherent moral law. What are some of those objections and how does Lewis begin to counter some of those arguments? Well, I think there are a number of objections you might raise. Let me just mention, I think, um, two, which I think are, are very, very obvious. One is, you know, if we look at history, then people do seem to behave in rather different ways at different times and in different places. So how can there be a single objective reality if there are so many different forms of moral thinking. I think that's a, a very fair point. Uh, but Lewis deals with this. He says, look, um, yes, um, there may be some divergences, but actually at their heart, it's really very striking how similar um, different civilizations' moral codes actually are. And that's one of the points that Lewis is trying to make out, that we need to explain why this is. Another point, of course, is that, um, you know, maybe um, uh, these social codes are simply the, the product of, um, of, of influential people you know, who, in fact, impose these on us. But Lewis, uh, in dealing with this later in the book, really, really says, well, look, um, the point is that we resist these because we realize they don't chime in with our deepest sense of what is right and what is wrong. But I think that main point is, is that... Um, uh, there's a danger we simply invent these ideas and that what we really need to find out is to fi- find something which is beyond us that we are not inventing but actually responding to. I think that's a very important point and what Lewis is doing is assuming that his, his readers or his listeners in the case of the original talks will actually see the importance of that point. 
And does the existence of this inherent moral law, this law of human nature, does it necessarily point towards God? Well, the answer is it's a clue. And that's one of the points that Lewis will make quite a lot in this opening section of Mere Christianity. He's saying, look, this doesn't prove anything, but it's a clue. Now, see, the thing about a clue is that on its own, it might not mean very much. When you start putting lots of clues together, well, you know, it begins to it begins to point you in certain directions. What Lewis is doing throughout the opening chapters of Mere Christianity is to assemble some clues and say, I wonder what these are taking us. Uh, it might point nowhere but on the other hand it resonates it's congruent with the christian way of thinking about the nature of god and so what lewis is really doing is kind of laying the foundations for saying uh, uh, something which is very characteristic of lewis which is the idea of god makes an awful lot of sense of some very basic human intuitions and actually allows us to take them a lot further And I suppose once some of these clues have been put in place and you get this picture of God that's been built up throughout what C.S. Lewis has been saying and writing about, what sort of picture does it paint of God? Well, at this stage in in the book, Lewis um, doesn't really fill in the detail. He will do that throughout the book. He will talk about the importance of Jesus Christ and disclosing who God is. He'll also talk about the difficult idea of the Trinity. And we'll be talking about those later in the series because they're very, very important ideas for Lewis and indeed for ordinary Christians. But I think what Lewis is doing at this stage is saying um, this deep perception that there is something beyond us that we ought to be obeying and that we don't really seem able to do this is telling us something about maybe the way God is, but also something about maybe the way we are. In other words, um, this sense of moral obligation is, is getting across the idea that we're dealing with a righteous God who is to be taken very, very seriously, a moral authority beyond us, not one we've invented, but one who we need to respond to, but also... Because we don't actually seem able to respond properly, to actually be able to keep the moral code we recognize as being important, that suggests we are not going to be able to sort out our problems by ourselves. And that's a key theme throughout mere Christianity. We're in a mess and we can't get out of it by ourselves. So, of course, that's going to lead Lewis into this whole discussion of the nature of redemption. And uh, in Mere Christianity, Lewis talks about the limitations of the materialist view. He also talks about the limits of science, that it can only take you so far. You, like C.S. Lewis, Alistair, are a former atheist, but you're also a scientist, which obviously C.S. Lewis wasn't. What do you make of some of the things that he says there about the materialist view and about the limitations of science? Well, I, I find him quite persuasive here. I mean, if, if there's a problem, it's that he doesn't go far enough. Um, I think Lewis is really making, making the point that uh, pure materialism, a, a purely scientific reading of the world, you know, it, it may make some important points, but there's an awful lot more that needs to be said. And the real danger is, you say, because we recognize material reality, that means we only recognize material reality. Lewis is saying, no, that's not right. It's part of the big picture, but it's only part. There's much more that needs to be said. And certainly what I would say as a former scientist is that I value science enormously. It helps us to understand why our universe functions in certain ways, and that that is really important. And also helps us to work out how we respond to things like COVID, which again is also very important. Mm. But it does not tell me what the meaning of life is. It does not tell me what gives me hope. It does not, um, in effect, enable me to behave properly. And these are very big themes throughout mere Christianity. And what Lewis is saying is science doesn't really help us with these things at all. 
And that does not mean that science is wrong. It means that science is incomplete. That is to say, it says some very good things, but there's a lot more that needs to be said. And science, using its own working methods, can't take us into the areas of hope, meaning or morality. You mentioned there that science is incomplete. And I suppose one of the questions that you must get a lot as a Christian who is also a scientist is, it, are Christianity and um, uh, and science compatible? It, can you be a Christian and a scientist? Well, yes, of course you can. I think it's a very good question. I think that, um, let me begin by saying that science and Christianity are different. But that does not mean that they are incompatible. I mean, let me give you an example. I mean, science and ethics are also different. But that does not mean they're incompatible because we need ethical scientists, you know, people who actually bring these things together. And really, for me, the key thing is to recognize that things like um, politics and ethics and science and religious faith are different. But we need to weave these together and we can do this. And so I think there are a lot of people who say because they're different or incompatible. I'm sorry, they're not. We do this all the time. We weave together different areas of our lives in ways that we find satisfying. And Lewis knew all about this. He doesn't talk about this quite as much as you might like in um, mere Christianity, but he does touch on this in some of his other writings. And the key point he's making is that Christianity gives you this, um, this bigger picture of reality, which allows you to appreciate why science works, but also what science limits are. And that's really important. Lewis is able to help us understand why it works, but also the areas that it doesn't help us with at all. And in those areas, Christianity does. He talked a lot about that, didn't he, about the kind of big picture of Christianity. Would you say just a little bit about that? Because that was quite a big part of your own journey in coming to faith, wasn't it? Yes, it was. I mean, I was an atheist who became a Christian and I came to faith when I was about uh, 18 years old. And so I came with lots of unanswered questions. You know, I sensed that there was something here that was really exciting and satisfying and meaningful. But there were questions I had. And, and so uh, I used to ask my Christian friends to explain things and they, they, they got fed up. So one of them <laughs> once said, look, um, why don't you read C.S. Lewis? And so in February 1974, I went and bought my book, first book by C.S. Lewis. And it was called They Asked for a Paper. And in that um, collection of essays, there's one called Is Theology Poetry? And this is all about Christianity giving us this big picture. In other words, it's not just this belief and that belief. It's in effect weaving these together and seeing the big picture. And for Lewis, that's what really matters. And, and as I read this, it was as if someone turned a light on in my mind. I suddenly saw things and thought, this is exciting. This is right. I like this guy, Lewis. I'm going to keep reading him. And actually, <laughs> 50 years later, I still do. <laughs> Going back to the idea of the moral law, you've already touched on this, the fact that there's a sense in which uh, Lewis is writing about the fact that we can't keep the moral law. Um, so I suppose the question is, how do we try and keep, can we keep uh, the demands of the moral law? Well, I think the two points that Lewis is going to bring out here, uh, the two, or rather the two main points he's going to try and bring out here are, number one, that on our own 
we can do this. Uh, number two, that actually there's something that predisposes us against us. If you like, um, by our own strength, we can't raise ourselves up. But also there's something dragging us down, which you call sin. Uh, and what Lewis is trying to do is to use this very good example of not being able to um, to meet up to the standards we ourselves recognize as being excellent and say, you know, that's actually quite important. What is that saying about who we are? Now, of course, if you are a Christian, you will say, ah, he's developing the argument in Romans chapter 7, isn't he? But Lewis does not once cite romans chapter 7 it's simply in effect him exploring the ideas without um peppering his uh, text with biblical quotations so it's a very very subtle way of introducing these themes you're right he is going to use reflection on our problems in in doing what we know to be right as a way of illuminating both the nature of god but also the problems we face as human beings you mentioned there that he doesn't necessarily reference the Bible, particularly in this argument, but actually in quite a lot of the book, there seems to be a sort of absence of biblical literature. Was that an intentional thing because of his audience? My feeling is it is that, in effect, Lewis um, did not want to come across as someone who is explicitly Christian in his approach. So that meant he, he does not, for example, cite the creeds very much. Uh, he references them a little bit, but there's no engagement with them. He does not cite scripture very much, although there are p- p- clearly passages he alludes to, and one or two which he does actually specifically reference. And uh, basically what he is, is doing is he is stepping into um, a curious person's way of thinking. He's in effect um, saying, I don't need to cite the Bible to bring you to a point where you can see the importance of Christianity. Once I've got you there, then please start reading the Bible. But bringing you to that point does not require me to cite the Bible. But in effect, when you look at Lewis's approach very carefully, it's obvious that it is deeply saturated with biblical thinking. And what Lewis is doing, if you like, is um, not showing his working. In effect, he, he is not saying, hey, I get this from Romans 7. I get this from... <laughs> he, basically, he's, he's, he's developing these arguments, and you can see immediately how deeply rooted they are in the Christian Bible. But he doesn't draw attention to that fact. It's all very subtle, and maybe there's one of the reasons why this book has this ongoing appeal. It's not in your face. It's much more subtle. I suppose for someone coming to this book uh, for the first time, particularly someone who doesn't really have much of a reference point for Christianity, for the first book to be all about human nature and morality and law, is there a sense that someone could get confused and think that it's all about works and kind of doing things in order to get yourself to heaven? Or is that a complete misunderstanding of what Lewis is saying? Yes, that's a really interesting question. I'll tell you what I think, and I must make clear that not everyone might agree with me i think lewis is actually engaging with a kind of um cultural mindset which is saying look we're decent people uh, we do the good thing and that's that's really what our social obligation is and that was very very common back then in the 1940s and it continues to be important actually for quite a long time afterwards but it's doing the right thing you know be, being decent 
And actually, that language is used quite a lot in the opening chapters of um, uh, mere Christianity. Um, there's one point says, um, you know, that um, we're very anxious to make excuses for not having behaved decently. You know, in other words, he's saying it's as if we have this cultural heritage that says this. And when we start thinking about this in more detail, we realize that we, we recognize there's, there's, there's a good that's not arbitrary, and we can't actually do anything about it. We, we can't meet these standards. So if you like, he is addressing a particular way of thinking, which I think would have been prevalent in Britain at that time, but it continues to be um, quite influential today. You are asking a very interesting question. Does this, in effect, mean that uh, a reader approaching the first chapter of mere Christianity might think it's all about works righteousness? No, I, I think that is a possibility. But I think by the end of that chapter, you realize that Lewis is going to move you on. So if you like, it's a step in the argument. It's not a conclusion in the argument. I think Lewis, in, in the way he wraps that first chapter up, is quite clear. We're going to move on and see where this takes us. It doesn't leave us there. It's the entry point for something more important. So keep reading if you're in danger <laughs> of thinking that. I, I think that's a really good point. That's something that seems quite a, a pertinent issue today, doesn't it? I think if you stopped a random person on the street and asked them what they thought Christianity was about, I would imagine a lot of people would say it's about doing the right things. It's about that kind of work thing. Um, and, and so would you suggest that actually introducing them to mere Christianity would be a helpful uh, thing to do? I think it would be because a lot of people say, "Look, um, I want to be a good person. I want to do the good things." I mean, I mean that 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 seems to me to be what my human responsibility is. And Lewis would say, that, "That's that's very interesting." Let me tell you now: um, A, you want to do the good thing. So, how do you know it's good? There has to be something beyond you that says it's not just something I've invented. It's something which really is good. And then when you try to do it, you'll find it's rather hard. You may not be able to do it. What's that saying about human nature? And so, in effect, the two points that are central to the opening chapters of mere Christianity really are beginning to come into play at that point. Well, we are going to talk further about the kind of deficiency within the human heart as this series goes on. But unfortunately, we have got to the end of our episode today. But before we go, Alistair, would you say just a little bit, if, if we want to delve into this topic more, uh, the idea of an inherent moral law, the, the law of human nature, what can we read of Lewis's um, to find out a bit more about this topic? Well, Lewis does talk about this a lot, and, and you might want to look at the Chronicles of Narnia, because at several points in that series, Lewis is in effect beginning to beginning to, to bring out this idea there's some deeper law which undergirds things, and where does that come from, and what, what obligations does that place upon us? That might be one way of doing it. But I think, um, for me, mere Christianity actually sets us out really very clearly. What I think is interesting is to read this alongside Surprised by Joy and try and see how Lewis himself came to faith and how questions like this actually played quite an important role. Lewis talks about this um, very cryptically and actually not in not in any great detail in mere Christianity and actually reading these two books side by side actually might be quite interesting. Alistair thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast with Professor Alistair McGrath brought to you by Premier. I'm Ruth Jackson and over this second series, Alistair and I will be looking at some of the key themes and ideas in Lewis's seminal book, Mere Christianity. 
You can find out more about this series, as well as C.S. Lewis and Professor Alistair McGrath, by heading to cslewispodcast.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please don't forget to like, rate and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. Next week, we will be looking at Christian belief in mere Christianity.